Hello from Cyberry and Delinea, and welcome to the show. If you've been enjoying the Cyberry podcast or 401 Access Denied, then make sure to like, follow, and subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. We'd love to hear from you. Join the discussion by leaving us a comment or review on your platform of choice or emailing us at podcast at cyberry.it. From all of us at Cyberry and Delinea, thank you and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of 401 Access Denied, your bi-weekly podcast that brings you all the latest news and information. I'm your host for the episode. I'm Joe Carson, Chief Security Scientist and Advisory CISO for Delinea. Delinea is a new company that's basically bringing together both Psychotic and Centrify and really helping around privilege access security. I'm really pleased to welcome an amazing guest back on the show today, um, Dan Lorman. Welcome back again. Um, it's always fun talking to you, so I want to give the audience a, a brief kind of introduction of who you are, and also I'd like you to kind of also give us uh, uh, some information about your latest book that you've released. Hey, Joe, it's great to be back with you again. So thanks so much for having me. Um, really excited to be on the show today. And uh, my background is uh, over 30 years in the security industry. I was with NSA uh, in the late 80s uh, in England uh, in the 90s, and then 17 years in Michigan government. And um, now I'm with Presidio, and we are a global digital solutions provider. Uh, I am the field CISO with Presidio, and just really excited to be with you today. My book, which came out in November, is called Cyber May Day and the Day After, A Leader's Guide to Preparing, Managing, and Recovering from Inevitable Business Disruptions. And it's um, really covers uh, true stories of ransomware, true stories of um, you know, what happened when different organizations were hit by cyber attacks. And we really, um, my co-author is Shemaine Tan from Sydney, Australia. She's just a, a marvelous cyber leader, woman of the year in cyber several times in Australia. Just a great, great uh, leader in, in uh, the industry. And we really talk about three parts to the, to the topic before, during and after emergencies. What can organizations do? Um, how can they prepare? You know, everything from playbooks and tabletop exercises and 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 then um, what happens during an incident and then how you can learn from that kind of cyber lemons to organizational lemonade, if you will, which is chapter mm-hmm. eleven at the end uh, at the end of the book. Lots of references and links to good best practices. But most of all, what we thought was missing in the market is really um, just really great stories um, mm-hmm. through the eyes not just of security leaders, but also through the eyes of uh, business leaders, uh, technology leaders, um, and really just small, medium, large government and private sector. So public, private sector, and then what happened? So a lot of intriguing stories. I know we're not going to go into those today, <laughs> but I encourage people to uh, go out. It's available on Amazon.com and wherever books are sold around the world. Well, that's fantastic, and I, I couldn't I couldn't agree more that one of the, from for me one of the most valuable lessons I always learn when I go to conferences and I listen to talks and I talk to other victims of cyber crimes and other types of you know security incidents for me it's always the lessons learned it's about what happened before what was going on during those attacks and what was the lessons learned after and for people to hear the stories and hear you know what happens and the stress and the changes because it's always very it's, it's always very fast everything happens you know so quickly in a matter of hours and days and uh, I think the lessons learned you can get from that is the best thing that we can do. And I've listened to, um, I think one of the one of the best talks at every conference has always been someone sharing their story. 
Yeah. Always been somebody telling you about the things that they did right and the things that didn't go so well and the things that yeah. they've learned from it. And I think for organizations who, you know, you want to do this beforehand. You don't want to, you don't want to be the person that's actually learning this in the middle of an incident and calling for help uh, and then, you know, going and, and looking at the lessons learned. You want to be prepared. And I will say that, you know, and, and what your book for me is probably very much about the difference about not just having an instant response plan, but actually being instant response ready. It's about exactly. you know, being able to prepare and simulate and know what things you should actually, you know, have ready beforehand. So that's such a critical information, definitely for the audience, uh, definitely do recommend. We'll make sure that we actually have a copy and links in the show notes so that people can easily find, find the book and make sure they're able to get a copy. So Thanks. today's theme I want to really get into is around really the state, you know, the state of current you know, cybersecurity. A lot has been happening in the last couple of months. Um, a lot from an industry regulation perspective. We've seen a lot around increases in cyber insurance prices. I mean, even, you know, the unfortunate, like, disaster, catastrophic invasion in Ukraine. Um, that's really seeing, you know, I've seen a lot of people talking about cyber war, but when we get into reality, it's there is elements of, of cyber being used. But I think really, you know, if we look at it from a more global scale, we're really talking about an information war. That's yeah. what I'm seeing. Um, we've also seen ransomware gangs taking affiliation to nation states, um, which is also an interesting, which does mean that there is consequences there for in reporting, consequences in even ransomware payments. So we have to understand about what some of those implications. So, uh, so Dan, do you want to give us uh, some kind of what, what's your current state that you're seeing today? What's what's the top of mind? What's the top priority that you're seeing uh, organizations should be aware of? Yeah, I mean, it's it is such an incredible, um, you know, scary time, but really an amazing time right now in the cyberspace, uh, as we, we cover in the book, but also just what we're seeing, you know, the explosion of ransomware over the last three years, you know, we kind of ended 2021. Um, everyone was just, you know, the reports coming out that uh, more ransomware attacks in 2021 than the last 10 years combined, just rationing up 19, 20, 21. So the attacks are continuing. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, now we have, you know, the alerts coming out from CISA around, you know, preparing for possible nation state attacks from, you know, Russia or, or elsewhere, you know, really being ready. And I think everyone is on high alert right now. Um, organizations are um, you know, really getting regular intelligence, you know, whether that be from the ISACs, Information Sharing Analysis Centers. Um, certainly, I work a lot with state and local governments and, and um, you know, they're constantly trying to get updates on the latest situation, but banks as well, um, utilities, you know, just mm -hmm. everyone really, really on high alert. The attacks are accelerating as never before. Um I think there's a couple different things that, you know, people are saying, you know, what can we do to prepare uh, those questions we've covered on this show many, many times yeah. about ransomware. Previous shows I've been on, we talk about ransomware and other things. A lot of the same basic blocking and tackling things, we can walk through those. Um, but I won't go through that list now. The cyber hygiene list, if we want to go there, Joe, we can go there. People can go back and listen to our previous episodes on ransomware and things. And, you know, certainly making sure multi-factor authentication is enabled. And we go through the list, you know, awareness training, people process technology. Mm -hmm. um, so that's huge, I think. But, you know, also there's a lot more happening in, in the sense that, that um, organizations are down staff. I, I'm hearing everywhere I talk right now, um, one of the biggest issues the stress level is just through the roof now in security teams around the U.S. and, and, and really around the world because a lot of people are down, you know, 50 percent, 30 percent, 
um, open positions. They just can't find the people. And they, a lot of times they have money for projects. A lot of times I, I'm hearing people that aren't really struggling with, you know, having the dollars uh, to do things. It's more the team. And, and mm-hmm. also people leaving, you know, they're called the great resignation. We won't, you know, yes. it's a, we got another whole show we could do, <laughs> but um, that's really hitting security teams hard. And, and um, so that's, that's a huge challenge. Uh, I'll just say a couple other quick headlines. I mean, I, you know, CNBC uh, published an mm-hmm. article Monday. It's called, um, uh, we're doing this the week of the uh, 16th of March, but for the first time in history, anyone can join a war Volunteers joined Russia-Ukraine cyber fight. So, I mean, mm-hmm. literally people all around the world, hacktivists, jumping yeah. into this. You know, we're seeing a lot of DDoS attacks, of course, against Ukrainian websites, attacks against Russia. A um, mm-hmm. lot of spillover um, in that region. I mean, a lot of people are wondering, will this hit U.S. banks? Will this hit, um, you know, government sites in the USA? We haven't seen that big, massive attack that some people, you know, have kind of worried about yet. Um, hopefully it doesn't happen in this round, but, um, those are just a few of the things that are top of mind right now. Yeah, absolutely. Just, I think one of the things you're absolutely right when we're looking at, you know, the, the war that's happening in Ukraine and we think about, you know, the disaster that's happening there, you know, for me, it's, it's really sad and it's heartbreaking seeing the news that's yep. coming out. And what you look at from, from the cybersecurity side of things, you do see, you know, Russia is a big supplier of a lot of uh, software. Uh, Ukraine yeah. is a big service provider for a lot of organizations. Yeah. And we've also seen it. We can go back to, to, to WannaCry. We can go back into NotPetya. And we see when you have cyber attacks against a country that is very heavily in supply chain, um, then it does spill over. Um, I think the, the wiper attacks um, that we saw at the beginning of the, the war um, did spill over into Latvia and uh, Lithuania which are, are NATO countries. But when you look at Article 5 and you think about, well, why doesn't it trigger Article 5? Because the severity of the tax, and they do them case by case basis. You'll look at them, each case they'll determine if this was something, but there will be spillover. Um, and we do have to expect that spillover will happen uh, through the supply chains and through the connectivity. Um, you know, we can even look back, you know, at uh, even further back to Stuxnet. Stuff yep. that wasn't just isolated in Iran. It spilled over into many organizations. Ultimately, the, the, the trigger and target uh, was, was very specific. But cyber weapons um, can actually you know, go into other, other nations and organizations. And we have to be prepared for if that does happen. Um, so I, I agree that this is something that we have to be prepared. I think with the CISA, um, uh, launching and, and, and making the alert about shields up. I think now is a good time for organizations to really go and check your security. Um, you know, just a kind of a reminder to go and make sure you're up to date on patches. A reminder to go and, for example, you know, check your backups. Make sure you've got fresh backups and make sure they're valid. It might be even a good time to take an offline backup um, just to have a, a good state where you can go back to. So it is a very, you know, today in the world is a very cautious, very kind of worrying outlook. Um, but my, my hope is that, you know, things will start to de-escalate and, and we'll you know, start to put things behind us. But at the moment, it's not looking like it anytime soon. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's, it's, it's clear that, you know, even a topic like the reporting legislation that was just signed into law by President Biden, um, is, a, is an indication of the level of concern that you're seeing even from the three-letter agencies mm-hmm. in Washington. Uh, I'm going to say three-letter agencies. That's my, you know, FBI, CIA, DHS, NSA. Um, 
And, you know, because there's been there's been hesitancy, you know, and I understand why from private sector mm-hmm. and, and others who feel like, you know, there's a little bit of big brother. There's been, you know, legislation we can talk about really going back a year since Colonial Pipeline around, you know, reporting of incidents. And, and that's been ratcheting up. There's been some legislation that was really mandating the rules for banks to reporting a ransomware attack or cyber major cyber incidents um, starting here in May of 2022. Um but now this new law really, and the rules have the, the detailed rules haven't come out yet. But the law has passed. CISA's got two years to put together the specific details around mm-hmm. this. Um, I don't think it's going to take them two years, Joe. <laughs> I think it's going to be more like I think. <laughs> I mean, they could rush <laughs> it in a matter of weeks. I, I'm I'm expecting six months. I mean, I don't. We'll see. I mean, I think it depends on the situation. But but the but the message is this: There's a lot of people that think that what we're doing now just mm-hmm. isn't working well enough. And, and, yeah. and, and clearly um, different people have different views about how we go about fixing that. I'll just needless to say that um, a lot of criminal justice organizations in the U S feel like, you know, if we don't even know about it, we can't help. And, and yes. so the questions have been out there and I've seen different reports. I'm sure you have as well. What percentage of incidents aren't even being reported that we don't even know about how bad is the ransomware really? And it's, it was really, really bad in 21. But my point is just this, is that that law passing so fast, bipartisan support, Republicans and Democrats, which is not easy to do on, on these topics, um, shows that, you know, clearly that's, I'm not saying we're heading towards more centralization, yeah. but certainly more ability to have um, uh, it, basically insights or, or mm-hmm. vision open um, of what is actually happening out there and uh, awareness of all the different incidents that are going on. And I think organizations need to be preparing now for that. And you're going to, you know, the, that, that reporting, if you don't have those relationships, you know, what are you going to do in incidents? Um, how, you know, if you were hit, um, what is that, you know, game plan? What is that playbook? Mm-hmm. You know, tabletop exercises, all of that. We covered a lot of that in the book, but but really the whole, the whole issue of preparing um, for a cyber incident and how you respond and how that's reported is changing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And just to kind of point, one of the things that you brought to mind was around, if we look at the recent revelations from the Conti ransomware group, yeah, yeah. we suspected, and this, this gets into your point about under-reporting. It was, it was actually quite shocking for me. We are so, the, the, the data that we assumed was around roughly right was way under-reported. Yeah. You know, we suspected that the Conti group had done somewhere around half a billion in ransomware payments, and the revelations came out at closer to 2.7 billion. Which means that we are way underreporting, and really the, the cybercrime and ransomware itself is so much bigger than what we actually, you know, we, we assumed it was. And it even reminds me, going back to a number of incidents, I remember when I was doing this response for a specific uh, ransomware variant, which was Crylock. And during that incident response, I in in the evidence gathering, I did find another victim. Uh, in the logs I was looking at, which basically it meant that the attackers had simply just done copy paste of their mm-hmm. attack tools. And in the logs, I did find other other information about a victim. So I thought, oh, well, it's my as a security researcher to go and inform that victim that I I did find information. I saw your basically credentials, server names, information, usernames, and so forth. So I reached out and contacted them and said, "Hey, um, I find that you you've also become a victim of the same group I'm dealing with. Um, do you want to collaborate? Sure. Or is there anything I can help with indicators of compromise? Or were you worried that you were a victim?" And they came back and actually deniability, saying, "Nope, we were not a victim." Wow. I was going, "Okay, I mean, 
okay, fine. And and then I, I said, yeah, I'll give you another opportunity, you know, to 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 work with me or to 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 just, you know, I got your data, I'm looking at it. Are you sure? <laughs> and and they came back and said, no, we're definitely not a victim of ransomware. And it wasn't until so I ended up having to go to the country cert, and I had to say, you know. Uh, the organization who I was dealing with that was a victim, we started sharing the information with the, the government cert. And then I decided I, I, like, I had to contact this other victim and let them know that I need to pass over my evidence that I have collected so far to government entity. I just want to inform you that I have to do that. And at, at that moment in time was when they admitted that I had become a victim of ransomware because when they realized that I had to go and show that data with a government entity. So I seriously do think we're, the reporting side is significantly, it probably even, I thought it was by 50%, but looking at some of those numbers, I think it's even, you know, probably, let, we're, we're probably around 70 or 80% uh, of what's not being reported. Um, and it gets into, so, so the regulation that went signed through, my concern though, when I looked at the, the data and the filings of that, was the four-day reporting, you know, yeah. reporting period? I thought that was in in when we did GDPR a, a long time ago. Fourteen days was the kind of well, it was like fourteen days was the ballpark. It actually changed the wording uh, that was without undue delay, and it was really about depending on the severity of the incident. Um, undue delay was kind of to give you that indicator, but whether you need to do it sooner or later, you know, what how much time you had, but four days. For many organizations, you know, they're still in the middle of evidence gathering and understanding the impact and even trying to determine what data is lost. So four days, for, I think, I think it really uh, not to taking account for the type of incident or the scale of the incident. I think there needs to be a risk-based approach in there or some impact piece that should be uh, a little bit more, you know, uh, on, on the time frame you need to no- notify. Or that when you do notify, you have to be clear that, this is ongoing. It's not, you know, yeah. you're still you're still determining the impact. So I was surprised at the four day piece. Uh, that I yeah, thought yeah they were saying seventy two hours. New reporting yeah. requirements require covered entities to report certain cyber incidents within seventy two hours and report yeah. a ransomware payment within twenty four hours. So, um, <laughs> yeah, and so yeah, I mean, the, the exact rules have to be now made. So now the law is mm-hmm. passed. They've got the authority. Yeah. We'll have to wait and see and, and what exactly come down. I mean, you're going to be yeah. hearing a lot about this in the coming months. Yeah. Um, but uh, the other thing, Joe, important to talk about what's going on right now with cyber insurance. I mean, I think that that whole topic and, and by the way, just, you know, I'll, I'll send you the link. You can, you can post with this mm-hmm. um, with this video. Um, I just did a blog on this and, and really referencing some of the experts that I'm listening to and talking to in the market. I just did a blog on, you know, what's going on with cyber insurance um, in the market right now. And, and, you know, there's a lot of people, you know, talking about Ukraine. Um, what about the war exclusions? What clauses are in there? What are not in there? A lot of talk about, um, you know, and, and, and Billy had a video with some, some mm-hmm. experts that just do underwriting for cyber insurance mm-hmm. um, basically for a living. And, and it's, it's another whole hour presentation. I won't walk through all of it, but just the gist of it was, you know, really make sure you understand, um, you know, a some of the trends, but but mm-hmm. the fine print in your policies. Um, I mean, generally speaking, we're seeing a huge trend right now where a lot of people that I'm talking to aren't even just are not even renewing their policies because yeah. the price is like doubling and the amount of coverage yeah. is being cut in half. 
So that that I'm hearing that all over the place. I've seen numbers anywhere from you know 30, 40 percent increases at the low low end, all the way up to three, four hundred percent increases. But uh, you know, I, I commonly hear we're paying double the price for half the coverage. Um, but the and, other and, thing and is one, one shot only. <laughs> You're only going to get one coverage. Um. Well, and exactly, <laughs> and and to that to that point, you know, and then the, what's excluded? You know, the, the mm-hmm. you know, people say, well, there's yeah. this big case, and I won't go through all the. That's really another whole topic, yeah. and I'm not an expert on cyber insurance, but I will send the link. I encourage people to go out, and if you've got policies, look at it, look at the exclusions, look at the war exclusions, and just because yeah. we had that case um, that was recently settled where. Um, there was a payment that had to be made um, from a few years back, and, and it, you know when they claimed it was war, and, and, and the courts ruled that they had to pay the the premiums. You know that's no guarantee that will that will happen in this case, but we, we really do have you know a physical cyber war, uh, not yeah. cyber war, and a physical war in Ukraine. So my point is, this is a you know every situation is unique. This is a unique situation, different from previous. Um, uh, Cases where maybe cyber insurance companies had to pay out. So uh, it's a hot topic right now. It's certainly one where, um, you know, Ukraine will certainly test your cybersecurity exclusions and your policy. Yeah, I remember this. This came when I was getting early, you know, maybe ten years ago, a little bit longer. Uh, in the whole, I was seeing the cyber insurance kind of come into reality and and, and being kind of tested. And it really started. It was also at the time it was it was basically in the shipping industry, and logistics, and financials, and transportation. That was really where it kind of kicked off. And I saw that one of some of the uh, cyber actually uh, fell into in the shipping industry was under terrorism. Oh, yeah. um, so that meant if you did have a cyber attack, you were actually not covered because it was classified as a terrorist attack. Um, and I think that's what we're start, starting to see now. A lot of those clauses that are actually basically gone into those cyber insurance policies are likely, you know, looking at this from terrorism. Um, that's probably you know attributing it into a war category as well. Um, so yeah, so organizations really need to be aware of what they're covered and what they're not covered for. Um, and absolutely, as you mentioned, I've seen cyber insurance premiums double the price in the past year. Your claims is significantly reduced. And also that you don't get repeat. You, you can't. You can only maybe get one claim a year um, if you're even lucky. Um, so you know, insurance companies are starting to realize that they went into this a little bit probably over optimistic and blind without having historical data. And then along came you know cryptocurrency and ransomware. You know the perfect storm together um, that really you know targeted a lot of organizations. And I think you know uh, insurance companies got really harmed because. A lot of these attacks happened and, and repeatedly and for large amounts. When you look at some of the ransomware payments, were in the tens of millions. Yeah. Um, and so if you hit a, a, a supplier or a service provider, then you, you're not hitting one company. You're hitting all of those companies. You know, if you look at some of the MSPs, uh, such as Kaseya getting hit, and you're not dealing with one company of cyber insurance. It's all of those customers that might have cyber insurance as well, just from one cyber attack. And it was an interesting, there was a discussion recently with some peers of mine that we get into even looking at, well, the other thing that we have to be aware of, and, and right now, of course, with the sanctions in place, um, this really gets into even, do you consider paying a ransom? Is it even an option for insurance companies or organizations to consider? Because one of the things we have to understand is that, well, if you consider paying the ransom, okay, is that these, these are organized criminals. They're not software criminals. They're organized criminals. 
And that means that they're not into just software crimes, such as ransomware and malicious malware. They're into other crimes, such as weapons and, and drugs and human trafficking and another really you know, serious crimes as well. So you have sure. to look at, if you're paying an organized crime criminal group, you're funding other types of criminal activities as well. So that's another thing that you get into moral and ethical decisions as, a, as an organization. Is that something you, you might consider, well, paying a ransom, I'm only paying software criminals. But in fact, you might be actually paying human trafficking. And do you want to be associated to that? So that's one area. The next part of paying ransom is you get into a situation about, well, where's the money going? Yeah. Uh, where is this or, you know, criminal guy located? Is it part of a sanctioned country? Um, so you're in the paying a ransom that could go into uh, a group that could be North Korea, Iran, you know, Russia, for, for example, today, um, that could be under sanctions. And that's another area that organizations need to be aware of is where's that money going to? Um, and I think then the transparency about organizations, you know, getting that visibility about paying the ransom, then you're likely to be targeted even more. So there's a big question into the ethics and moral about paying ransoms today. And I think organizations really need to think about more resiliency. How how do you avoid having to be in that position in the first place? What you can do to make sure that, yes, it might impact your business operations and services for a bit of time, but you want to make sure that you're in, in the situation where you do have a backup. You do have alternative business uh, resiliency in place. So you don't have to go down that path. Because I think ultimately paying the ransom for me, it's a business decision. I, I recommend against it, but I defer it to business you know, just those who's responsible for the business, because some cases is death and, you know, it's life and death scenarios. I've seen cancer research companies been hit, hospitals been hit, um, you know, critical services, ambulance services, telecommunications, phone lines, helplines, all been targeted. And when you think about that, well, if you think about, you know, like help uh, uh, call line uh, for, you know, people who's looking for mental health or it could be for getting ambulances, if that's hit and down, that's people's lives are in danger. So, Absolutely. and so I always defer. I always have to say that my recommendation is not to, but I always defer to. It's a business decision. But here's your understanding about some of the consequences if you do go down the path of paying. This is what you might be dealing with um, at a later date, if it ever does go public. So I think paying ransom today is definitely more trickier now than it's ever been in the past. Um, I think a year ago, you, you could have got away with it. I think there's a lot of challenges today um, for organizations who might consider paying. Yeah, and I think, you know, in the Ukraine situation that we're in right now, people are thinking, I, I love an analogy I recently heard, um, said, you know, the Russia attacks are more like uh, a hurricane, China cyber attacks are more like global warming. <laughs> now, I don't <laughs> I, it's interesting, you know, maybe more long-term mm -hmm. um, impact of stealing intellectual property and other types of things. But I think organizations, if you're thinking about this as a government ent entity or, or a business around the world and you're, you know, like, okay, um, to your point, how do you how do you prepare? I've seen organizations that did feel like they thought they had backups um, and and they and they thought that um, they were immutable, that they were, mm -hmm. you know, not changed. But it was going to take them seven, eight weeks to restore. Yes. And so they had never really worked through the whole process. And they're like, I can't be down for seven weeks. I can't be down for eight weeks. And then they ended up paying. And yet the numbers um, just in this topic is about ransomware today. But it, it's astounding. Some recent reports I heard, like more than a third of the organizations that get hit by uh, ransomware and aren't prepared 
that, you know, um, end up going out of business within um, yeah. uh, more than a third of going out of business and going bankrupt within a year. Um, and it's even higher in the UK and, and mm-hmm. UAE. So it, it is a very, very, very dramatic thing. Um, and I think preparing yourself and you know, some of those CISA alerts, you know, making sure you've got that basic blocking and tackling. Mm-hmm. You mentioned earlier, um, multi-factor authentication, you're patching your systems, you're, you're, you're working really well with threat intelligence and you work with your, with your sector to, to know about different types of attacks that are coming in, making sure that you're ready with your backups and your incident response plans. Um, you know, there must have things. I just want to mention one other thing on insurance. You know, the, the, the case that escaped my mind a few minutes mm-hmm. ago was the 2017 NotPetya malware yeah. attack and that insurance case where um, large insurers have taken um, pricing underwriting actions in response to the rising claims in recent years. A lot of people saying, well, in that case, you know, there was a there was a lawsuit and the insurer had to pay, but they ruled that it wasn't really a physical cyber war. Um, so yes, it was not war that clause didn't apply and they had to pay. But as a result of that, a lot of people are making adjustments now. So, um, but the other thing real quick, I want to mention Joe that I find fascinating is that, and yet there's a report that came out about a month and a half ago that I read and I can send you the link to this. If we can include Mm -hmm. this in the notes, um, that the expected increase in cyber insurance is tremendous over the next five years that more people will be doing. That's not really what I'm seeing on the ground right now. I see people canceling policies or not renewing them or getting less coverage. And yet, you know, if they get this sorted out, I don't think cyber insurance is dead. I do think that um, you're going to see more, um, you know, I don't know, changes in that industry. And uh, we could be back on this show a year from now talking about Mm -hmm. some new model. But the bottom line is, is that it's not going away. And a lot of organizations are relying on that. It's just that the cyber industry companies are requiring a much better, even like, you know, in many cases, better risk assessments, even pen Mm -hmm. tests, looking for vulnerabilities, doing that analysis up front before they take on that risk. Yeah, absolutely. I think for me, uh, my prediction in, in the insurance side here, I think we'll start seeing more micro services from an insurance perspective, meaning yeah. that they're more specific uh, to the type of tech rather than these broad, like massive cyber policies that try to cover everything. I think we'll start seeing a lot more segmented microservices that are very specific to different types of threats and impacts. I think okay. that, that's what we'll typically see. So organizations might decide to to get cyber insurance, but maybe there's ransomware as an exclusion part of that. So it becomes more affordable because uh, they might decide that they have a, a solid backup uh, plan in place that is resilient to ransomware. So we start, we might see more micro segmentation, microservices from an insurance perspective that are more specialized. And I also think that as well, that we'll start seeing the share economy starting to take off, especially for uh, small, medium uh, types of businesses that just cyber shares might be a little bit far, further away from their capability. So you might see more of the share economy where you know groups of organizations will get together to try and get collective cyber insurance. Um, so, but again, you get into that scenario about how do you make sure that they're doing the best practices? How do you make sure they're putting the right things in place? And that really comes into your, what you mentioned, risk assessments, that you have a certain level of basics that is actually implemented. And that, you know, very well might be driven through compliance regulations. You know, just getting that certification might show you a level of maturity as well. Uh, but I think definitely the insurance industry is going to grow from a cyber perspective for sure. Um, how it's going to grow and how they're going to evolve to be able to deal with you know the losses today 
I think that's gonna that's the, still the big question that they're gonna have to look at. Uh, the more data they get, though, the more better analytical information they can, you know, because the insurance industry is driven on data, um, and it's all about you know trends of the past and making predictability of the future. And the more information they get, the better models they can you know make, so they can actually get a better understanding about where does cyber insurance really fit in the industry it is today, and where, where it's going to go in the next couple of years. But for sure, it's a it's a rocky, rocky boat right now, um, and some some are doing well, and some some not so well. It really comes down to some of the policies, the way the policies are written. I guess is really what's going to define uh, the success of this in the near future. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that evolves, and I, I think the environment is. Um, you know, a good friend Richard Steen in um, wrote a yeah. book called "There Will Be a Cyber War." Well, we're seeing it now, and you know, I think w- what happens, you know. So far, we haven't had a major, you know, for example, the grid has not been hit hard. Some people made some predictions that there could be, you know, massive um, attacks against businesses in the U.S. at a level, you know, that would bring down critical infrastructure and literally, well, I'm say turn out the lights, but maybe, you know, hit water supplies, hit other critical infrastructures like Colonial Pipeline. Mm-hmm. Um, so far, we haven't seen that yet. But, you know, you know, we're hoping that that um, it doesn't happen. But a lot of people think it will at some point. So, you know, making sure that if anything, the pressure, the importance, mm-hmm. the priority has only gone up as a result of the current situation. Absolutely. And in and, and, and wars, you know, cyber is an element. You know, I, I mean, we look back in, in history uh, and you can go back to, to Estonia in 2007. You know, the, the, the political situation, the, the situation where between Estonia and Russia at the time. Uh, did indicate, you know, there was cyber attacks uh, yeah. during that, and, and and also there was violence in the streets as well during the, the unrest at the time. Um, so there was a cyber element to that, and of course that was the establishment of the NATO Cyber Defense Center of Excellence, and it was also the foundation of you know cyber being introduced into Article Five as well. Yeah, um, and then we can look back in Georgia, same thing happened. 2014 in Ukraine and the annexation of Crimea, same thing. Cyber attacks, they do, they are not. The only weapon used, but they are a tool in in a real physical war scenario. And we're um, seeing that now. We're seeing that now in Russia yeah. and Ukraine. I mean, massive DDoS attacks, massive website yeah. impacts. Um, I'm not saying it's 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 huge right now. Yeah. It just hasn't hit the homeland of the United States yet. I know it's a global audience. It hasn't hit you know Western Europe yeah. like some people thought to this point, but. Yeah, I think it's yeah. always it's always the pre-staging side. That it's the it's it's the preparation. And any so so one of the things is you know as as a penetration tester and ethical hacker, one of the things that we look at in ITAP is you don't show your cards until the last like last minute until you need to. So one of the goals that you tend to do is you want to stay stealthy. You want to stay hidden until the time is right that you execute it. So it's always that ninety percent of any type of attack. Is reconnaissance, is preparation, it's preparedness, it's it's getting into the right locations and staying stealthy as much as you possibly can. So when you do need the trigger, that's what happens. But I think hopefully the many organizations have really went through and started doing threat hunting and started looking. And I always say that, you know, as a security professional, my job is always about how do I force the attackers to take more risk? This is all I have a saying that I always say is that that there's no 100% protection. What you're really doing is you're forcing the attackers to take more risk. And the more risks that they take, the more noise they're going to make and visibility in your network. And it gives you a chance of detecting them early. And it gives you a chance of removing them and stopping them from moving and from elevating privileges and getting to more sensitive areas of the network. 
So the goal here is really to really force it, uh, attackers to, to, to create noise, to create visibility and give us a chance at actually stopping them from getting further. So this is what we really need to be doing right now is, is getting into the threat hunting, is assume breach. Um, we all, all should be practicing the assume breach right now is assume they're on your network and go through and make subtle changes to try and get those ripples to happen, to get that visibility. You know, maybe practice a password reset in certain parts of the network or certain groups of users. Maybe go through and do an audit log correlation to check to see if there's any suspicious activity. Look yeah. for potential uses of things like KS exact on the network. Look for registry changes that will actually allow things like Mimikatz to extract passwords and clear text. So we should be going through these practices right now. You know, the last thing, you, you don't want to be doing this after the attack has already happened because it, it's it's not going to help the organization. It's it's more about the lessons learned. You want to do this pre-attack. So now is the time to go and do that. And I think the shields up is, is, is a great indicator that we should be practicing that. We should be going through and doing this proactive um, things right now. At the same time, also reading your incident response team, making sure your contact lists are up to date, uh, to your point. And, and one of the things is when we think about, you know, also, ransomware has also been used as as a disguise to other types of attacks as well. Yeah. It's 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 been used uh, to somewhat uh, distance themselves these these state sponsored groups from uh, you know if they use a ransomware they can always say well it wasn't the government you know it was a, it was a mercenary cyber mercenaries were carrying this out so it was distance it was political hacktivism. Um, so they can always do that separation of government accountability and responsibility as well by using ransomware as a weapon under the disguise in order to disable systems. But we have to really get into also looking into, well, what can we do? Um, when we think about ransomware itself, it is, I mean, it is, it is a cyber weapon of mass destruction. It, it does critical, you know, it does bring organizations down to complete standstill. And we really need to make sure that organizations have the best practice in place. They have guidelines. They go through these checklists and make sure that they're actually done as much as they can to, to make organizations resilient. And this is important. One of the things you mentioned earlier, and I think, you know, um, I'm really excited about looking forward to reading your book. Um, one of the things that comes to mind is that we also have to step away from uh, these security incidents and, and, and ransomware uh, happening. We sometimes make them IT issues or security yeah. issues. They're not security issues. They're not. IT issues. These are business issues, business Absolutely. risks. And we need to start looking at this. Yeah, One system going down or an application failing, that might be an IT issue or it might be a security issue. But when you're targeted with ransomware or you're targeted with DDoS attacks, or you're targeted with you know data uh, theft, these are business issues and business risks. And therefore, it means that it needs a business response. So it means that you might have security instance and this response plans that are tailored just for IT response. But your incident response plan needs to be a business response. We need, to, we need to elevate it. We need to change the viewpoint. Because sometimes executive boards, they, 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 you know, it's the security team's responsibility to put this in place. And, but it's actually, it's, it's human resources and talent. It's SEALs. It's financial. It's legal. It's third parties that you need to contact, law enforcement, you know, maybe external pen tester teams, incident response teams, digital forensics. You need to have basically your network of resources. And organizations also should never be afraid to ask for help in the middle of an incident as well. Um, they should never be able to think that we can cover this up ourselves and put all of our people to, to make this go away. They should think about 
who can I call for help? Who, who's, who's been a victim before? And one of the things is other victims are the best people sometimes in the short term to help you yeah. uh, because they can tell you about how they recovered and, and the lessons they learned. Any, any thoughts the book, you mentioned many of those points, Joe, <laughs> are really the kind of, kind of things we cover in detail. And I'll just give, you know, close and we'll wrap it up in a moment. But um, one of the stories we talk about in, in, is some lessons that I learned mm-hmm. back in the power outage of 03. And, you know, really thinking, um, obviously, there's a lot of unique things about cyber attacks, but it really, you need to think all hazards, you know, fire, flood, tornado, mm-hmm. natural disaster. And in your organization, you know, how would you respond if you're in Florida and a, a hurricane hits? Or how do you respond, you know, uh, in different situations for fire, flood, tornado, those kinds of things? And and I know during the Northeast blackout, we, we talk about that situation in detail, how much I learned about mm-hmm. emergency management and what that meant when, you know, all New York and Michigan and, and Ohio and, you know, lost power. Um, but, you know, just knowing having everyone involved, clearly it was, you know, from the governor on down in Michigan, uh, we got the president was on the big screen and uh, George W. Bush administration. But I mean, one of the things we learned right out of the gate when we showed up was a third of the people we thought were going to be there were not there. The person who was supposed mm-hmm. to run emergency management was on vacation in, in Mexico at the time. Um, so, you know, one of the things, you, little tip you can use if you're doing tabletop exercises, we're already doing that or we're already doing exercises. Walk around the room, tap about, you know, a third of the people or, or six people, a half dozen, whatever it might be, um, you know, 20 percent of the people mm-hmm. and say, OK, you're now observers. Go stand in the corner and watch who's your backup because yeah. you're not here. So now what are you going to do? And, and and does your backup know what to do? So so often we think about these very practical sides of things. But, you know, the people side does come into play. And, and during um, cyber attacks and making sure your leadership is involved, who are you going to call? What if the phones mm-hmm. are all down? What if you don't have power? Do you have generator backups? You know, we learned this a long time ago. It was 18 years ago. We, one of our three um, uh, data centers had backup power generators, mm-hmm. but two out of three didn't. And we, and we ended up having to get new generators for them. So <laughs> we learned a lot through that that apply to cyber today. And um, mm-hmm. so really think about it as, you know, in many ways, it is an all hazards challenge. And affects the companies down. You know, how does a business, you know, respond? Absolutely, and it is a business response because it is the business that's impacted. It's not just IT systems. It's it's the yeah. services that the, the IT systems are the dependency that the business needs to provide those you know business services. So absolutely, and one of the things as well is you know just I think from from what I'm seeing right now, definitely it's an, it's an information war. I've never seen absolutely anything like you know I've been doing this such a long time and seeing the information. The propaganda, the fake news, the disinformation to people trying to get the truth out there. That's definitely we're, we're in the, the midst of right now, like global information war. Um, and it's, 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 it's seeing one of the things is just watching and, and seeing how the information is flowing and how, how to detect fake information and propaganda versus reality and truth and how to fact check everything. It's really, I think, showing a lot of the social platforms about, you know, how they need to change and improve how they share information. Uh, so it's definitely something to, you know, for us to, to watch and, and learn about what's happening. But it's, uh, it's something that's kind of, you know, it, it, it's escalating further and further and more groups and, and people and individuals getting involved. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see where the information wars lead to. Yeah, I really appreciate being on your show today. I know uh, we probably have to wrap it up, but I I do think that this is this is an ongoing. This is a taste of what you know. Sadly, the future of if cyberspace looks like, and it's not going away. Um, 
Uh, hopefully this this uh, situation we have in Ukraine winds down, but um, we're going to be seeing these same challenges and lessons learned, you know, uh, in the years ahead. And um, absolutely. so absolutely having organizations working with your communication teams and, and working with your government as public information officers and really knowing how to communicate in an emergency, how you're going to communicate mm-hmm. during a cyber attack, how you're going to communicate is all really, really important. Absolutely. So, Dan, it's been a pleasure having you on. I always really enjoy talking with you and uh, definitely look forward to having you on again in the future. And, and I'm really excited to, to go you know, soon. I'll have the opportunity to read your book and to uh, go through and, and, and learn some insights as well, because I'm really excited. I always love learning. Uh, and uh, uh, for me, you know, definitely uh, your insights and uh, knowledge is definitely something I'm excited to, 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 to get an insight into. Likewise, uh, so you- I love learning from you, Joe. You're the you're the global <laughs> expert. You know, <laughs> oh, it's, it's, I, it's, I, I travel around the world, and Joe's always there, so it's great. You know, it's, it's the people event. around me. It's people like you that, that 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 I talk with and I learn, and that I mean that's one of the great things about the podcast is I get so many great people on that I get to chat with and, and learn from. So, um, for me, what makes my knowledge and my insights is 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 the people. It's it's the my network of people uh, that really provide value to me. So. Uh, so I really do appreciate you, and uh, it's great to have you on the show. So for for the audience, you know, it's been a pleasure. And one thing I do want to say is, you know, for for those who's impacted, you know, the humanity crisis that's happening in Ukraine and the war, you know, our thoughts and prayers are with all the people. Uh, that hopefully this unnecessary destruction, and we hope that it finds a peaceful end. Uh, I mean, for anyone listening, you know, out there, you know, we just hope that it stops, and and you know that. You know, people can can learn uh, from from these things, and hopefully, we can look for ways to prevent it in the future. So, um, our thoughts and prayers with everyone who's who's impacted by this war. So, for the audience, again, stay safe. Hopefully, this has been educational. It's been a pleasure having Dan on. Um, again, tune in every two weeks. Four hundred one access tonight. It's your biweekly podcast to really give you essential information, new details, trends. It all helps to make the world a safer place. Uh, so, again, thank you. Stay safe. And I look forward to being on another episode with Dan again in the future. So thank you. Thanks. Learn how your team can get a free trial of Cybrary for Business by going to www.cybrary.it slash business. This podcast is also brought to you by Delinea. Dicotic and Centrify are now Delinea, the leader in privileged access management. To learn more, visit delinea.com.